It has been good to be with you all over these past few days. I appreciate so much uh, your having me to come and, and be with you. I appreciate those who've been here and supported us in the work. I know you didn't come because I was going to be here, uh, regardless of the presenter, the speaker. Uh, there are those who are given to serving the Lord, wanting to learn more about His Word, wanting to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ, and and I thank you for, for that support. When your oldest daughter gets married and leaves home, there are a number of concerns that you have. And as Mary Catherine did that, we weren't, we weren't concerned about the house she was going to live in, though that was a little touch and go for a while. Uh, we weren't concerned about the, the area around where she lived as far as the schools and the, the type of town, small town, big town. While six and a half hours away at close, we weren't so concerned about the distance. But we were concerned about the church. Where is she going to worship? Who is she going to worship with? And it was good to hear a report from them, uh, Reagan and Mary Catherine, that there were brethren meeting in Jessup, Georgia, that they had confidence in and would like to be a part of that work and to be able to come and spend more time with you. We've been here before, but not to be able to have this much time together. And it, it's just very comforting to know that they're here involved in a good work. Uh, the, the lesson that I preached this morning concerning being fishers of men, that's a lesson we all need. We need to be reminded. But it's one that as I've been here over the few days we've been here, that I'm very encouraged is it's happening. People here are fishing uh, to hear about a number of studies that are taking place uh, at work at, at different places. And, and when I ask, well, where did you meet this person? Well, it's been a number of different places. And I, that's just very encouraging. And we could continue to talk about that for a long time. But our focus this morning is going to be on God's Word. And I want you to turn with me as we... Look in Ephesians chapter 4 at a passage that should be very challenging to us all. There are times when we need to, to be encouraged for the good that we've done, and there's times that we need to be challenged to do more. And this morning, I want us all to be challenged by what we read here. I want to begin reading in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, where it says, And he... That is, Christ himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love and may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, 
causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. There's a lot in that passage that we could focus on, but the part that I'd like for you to pay attention to with me this morning is in verse 13, where Paul here is encouraging the church at Ephesus that they should be working together to come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. That's the the rendering in the New King James. I believe a number of other translations render it something along the lines to to a mature man. And I do believe it is talking about that mature Christian, one who is well grounded in the faith, one who has studied and has learned the word of God. But I do like that word perfect. Uh, We're scared of that word perfect sometimes. It's a word that we think that's off limits for us. And and we have no, no business thinking of ourselves in terms of perfection. But it is sort of what that word means. And a place that we can see that is in Matthew chapter 5. As Jesus is teaching the disciples to pray. And He gives them this, this model prayer. He says in... I got to see here. Thank you. I told I told brother uh Ward beforehand that that sometimes I need help and I appreciate him giving me help there. Um I'm thinking about Luke chapter 11, but anyway, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48. Um uh, he says there, therefore, let, let me back up and get the whole context there. As he's talking about loving our enemies, in verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do, you not even, do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's the same word that we have over here in Ephesians chapter 4. And as Jesus is saying that, therefore, if we love as God has loved, we should be perfect. But he, he qualifies that by saying we should be perfect just as the Father is perfect. And so perfection is something that we should be striving for. I recognize we're going to sin. Romans chapter Three and verse 23, he doesn't use the past tense for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. He says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We will not be perfect in this life, but it should be something that we strive to attain to. When you look in the, in the business world, you find that there are compromises that have to be made. You have businesses that are striving for excellence, and, and excellence is good, but excellence isn't perfection. 
And there's a reason why most businesses aren't looking for perfection, and it's because they can't afford perfection. The price of perfection is high. And in order to to build something, to design something, to provide something to a consumer that is perfect, it's going to take a high price that most aren't willing to pay. And so businesses have to, they have to find where that sweet spot is. You know, they have to, to lower cost, and in lowering cost, they have to sacrifice something about quality. Not that they're going to purposefully give something that they believe is going to break, but you might have to make something out of plastic instead of metal. But over time, that plastic wears out. And so there's a, a lot of input into numbers, and they have to figure out, all right, what price are we willing to pay? What price is our consumer willing to pay? And get this product. So, so corners are cut, and an inferior product, which is still a very good product, is given. And sometimes we adopt that same model in our own lives and in the church. There's a high price that's to be paid for striving for perfection, and so many aren't willing to pay that price, and so they figure, well, we can still be very good, and that will be good enough. But if our attitude is one of settling for something less than what we could be, then that's not going to ever be pleasing to God. We have an example as we look back to the Israelites, and I appreciate the psalm that was read, and in much of that psalm as we're reading there about the history of the Israelites, we find a number of places where they erred, where they didn't follow the Lord's command and suffered as a result. But God's purpose His intention all along was to bless them, to to be their God, for them to be His people, and for them to enjoy the richest of blessings. But what we find is they never enjoyed it. And we can see why when we look back in, we'll start in Exodus 23, in chapter uh, 23 and verse 23, the Lord told them that my angel will go before you and bring you into the go before you and bring you into the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. So shall show so you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water and will take sickness away from the midst of you. No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come, and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, the Hittite from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beast of the field become too numerous for you little by little i will drive them out from before you until you have increased and inherit the land so that's god's plan he's laid it out in very specific terms as far as what they are to do and what he in turn then would do for them and when you look at the blessings that god says that he would pour out upon his people who wouldn't want to live in a situation like that who wouldn't want to live in a land like that And so as we go over to the book of Joshua, where they finally do 
enter the promised land and they divide up the land. It's taken them 40 years to go 11 days journey. But in Joshua chapter 21, we find that they have begun to realize the promises that God had made. In Joshua 21, after the land has been conquered to a point, remember we read back in Exodus 23, he wasn't going to do it all at once, but little by little he would drive them out. So they've made that first push and they've conquered the land. And I want you to look with me in verses 43 through 45. Joshua chapter 21. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers. And he took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Wow. That... If you were not real familiar with what God had said and what God had done in the book of Joshua, if you just think about the later years of the Israelites, this verse might surprise you. The fact that they have conquered, they've entered, the Lord gave them rest all around, and not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. But that's, that's the case here during Joshua's time as he's leading the people and as they've conquered this land. But unfortunately, that's not the end of the story. When you come over to the book of Judges in chapter 1, we find there was still more work to be done. Again, going back to God's promise that He would drive out those inhabitants, but it would be little by little as the people grew, as the nation grew and were able to inhabit more of the land, then the Lord would continue to drive out those inhabitants, just as He had done at the beginning. But these people who've come out of the bondage of Egypt, these people who've been slaves all their lives, and they've been brought now into a land where they dwell in their own houses, and they have their own vineyards, and everything has changed in their life from bad to very good. They got complacent. They really liked where they were. And they thought, this is good enough. And I know that because as we read here in Judges chapter 1, we read something like in verse 19. It says, So the Lord was with Judah, and they drove out the mountaineers, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had chariots of iron. If we didn't know anything else about it, maybe you think, well, the chariots of iron were too strong for them. That's not the case at all. God had promised that He would drive out everyone. It didn't matter if they had chariots of iron or what weaponry they had. The Lord would drive them out. So the only conclusion we can draw when it says that Judah could not drive them out is they didn't want to drive them out. They didn't have the faith to drive them out. Why spend the time and the effort to go up against iron chariots when we've got all of this land that we've already settled? Maybe that's too high a price to pay. You see the same thing in verse 21 concerning the children of Benjamin. They didn't drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. And we won't take the time, but you can look in verse 27, 29, 30, 31, 33, and you'll see the same phrase. 
However, they did not drive out. But we will notice verse 34 because things were getting worse. One of the things about the book of Judges, it's not just a cycle as we sometimes describe it. It's a spiral. And it's a downward spiral. And even here we see a difference between where we start in verse 19 till we come down to verse 34. In verse 34, it doesn't say that Dan did not drive out all the inhabitants of the land. It says the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountains, for they would not allow them to come down into the valley. And again, why was that? Well, it wasn't because God had failed on His part. It's because the people failed. And I really believe as we look at all that's surrounding this that what we're seeing is a people who had settled, a people who became complacent with what they had and weren't willing to do what it took in order to receive the full blessing that God had promised. When you come over to chapter 2 and verse 3, the Lord says, because you have failed, because you have not driven out these people, verse verse 3, therefore I said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their God shall be a snare to you. When the Lord makes a promise, as we talked about this morning, He's going to keep His promise. He's not limited by anything. But when we fail to trust the promises of God, when we settle for less than what God has promised us, then there's always going to be trouble that follows. And it would follow them all their days, and and we need to learn that lesson. Perfection demands a high price. It's not going to come cheap. It's not going to come easy. And there will be something short of perfection where we can feel pretty good about ourselves. We're not where we used to be. We're not in sin anymore. We've responded to the gospel. We've had our sins washed away. We're doing some pretty good things. But is it enough? We've mentioned the rich young ruler a number of times, but we'll come back to him here because... Jesus, after the young man has said to him in verse 20, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? And think about it. Here's a young man who, who's rich. He's got his youth. He could do a lot of things, but he's been serving God. He's kept the commandments of the Lord. But Jesus says in verse 21, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Had the rich young ruler, had he not sacrificed up to that point? You think his life had always just been easy? I tell you, when you look at the commandments of God and then you look at those who violated those commandments, examples that we have, it takes a lot of self-control. It takes a lot of dedication. It takes sacrifice to do the things that this young man said that he had already done from his youth. But Jesus says, you're still not where you need to be. If you want to be perfect, you've got something else to do. And it's a price that was too high for him that he was not willing to pay, so he went away sorrowful, having great possessions. I could hope that somewhere later in his life, through the events that continued to take place with Jesus and the teachings of the apostles that this young man came to understand his mistake in walking away, and maybe he came back. But as we're left here, 
He's not just going away still doing good, still being one who is mostly faithful to the Lord. He's going away as one who has turned his back on God. When we recognize what God demands and we fall short of that willingly, knowingly, the Lord has shown us His attitude toward that. One who's not willing to forsake all that He has, according to Luke chapter 14, cannot be Jesus' disciple. When you think about the attitude that, that people have, and a lot of times it's a, it's a questioning kind of attitude. And a question might be, you know, do I have to attend all the services of the church? Do I have to, and, and we're not going to go down this path, but you just fill in that blank. Things that are seen in God's Word that He wants us to do, and, and people quote, well, how much? How long? How often? Wouldn't a better question be how holy can we be? People, I think, somewhat are scared of that. They, they don't want to have this holier-than-thou attitude, and, and we shouldn't. We should not have that attitude, but I tell you, We need to strive for holiness. Look with me in Galatians chapter 5. There's a a phrase here after Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit that had been perplexing to me for a while. And maybe I still don't understand it all. But I believe I I have the sense of what Paul is saying here. In Galatians 5 verse 22... He begins to list there uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then there's that phrase there, against such there is no law. It's kind of an odd phrase maybe, but when you look at love that's mentioned there, love, What is God's law concerning love? How much love is too much? Well, there's no such thing as too much love. What about joy or peace or long-suffering? When do you cross the line of, of having too much of any of those things that he mentions here? And the answer is, you never do. You can never do any of these things too much. There's no law against being this type of person. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 12. Concerning again that question of how holy can we be, I think the Hebrew writer here would show us that that is a a good question and one that we need to pursue. Hebrews chapter 12, and and some have the idea that, well, if if you're really holy, then God's going to bless you up here, but if... Maybe you're not so holy, you're not as concerned, but you're down here. Well, God then will just bless you down here. And your, your level of faithfulness will just depend on how much, or will, will determine how much God will bless you. But look with me again. Hebrews chapter 12, begin reading verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. And then verse 14, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one 
will see the Lord. If you're not pursuing holiness, the scriptures say you will not see the Lord. That doesn't sound to me like, well, the Lord's just going to bless me less. You won't see the Lord. It's a serious matter. We have to be determined that whatever the price is that God has laid upon us, that we're willing to pay that price to strive for perfection. Again, realizing we're not going to to reach that. Going back to Ephesians 4, what he says is that we may be perfect. And then he mentions the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what we're aiming for. That's our goal. And we should never settle for less than that. You look back just a few pages in Hebrews and you come to chapter 10, verse 25, which, you know, everybody minimize the importance of that verse. We, we do not need to forsake the assemblings of ourselves together. That's a command from God. And there are a lot of people who pay a high price in order to assemble with the saints. There are those who have been here this week that I know it was a lot more difficult for them to be here each night than it was for me to be here each night. They paid a high price for that. But you know, it's a a higher price that has to be paid in order to determine that I'm going to be at every meeting, every assembly where the saints have gathered together. I'm going to be there, whatever it is that I have to set aside. I remember a brother years ago talking about sacrifice and, and true sacrifice. And he said, you know, there are most of the people in the Lord's church, Sunday morning, not Sunday evening here, Sunday morning, that's what we do. We get up, we go to church. We do that 52 times a year. Well, something comes along. Once in a lifetime event. But it's going to cause you to have to miss the assembly of the saints. That Sunday morning. Now, one attitude is, well, it's just one time. You know, 51 times I've been there. It's just this one time. But what did it cost you to be there those other 51 times? I mean, that's what we like to do. It's what we want to do. But that, that one opportunity now that I have to sacrifice something to God in order to assemble with my brethren... Well, am I willing to pay that price? I I should be. I absolutely should be. It's a higher price. But it's what we will do if we're truly striving for perfection. And then there are some who do pay that high price to be every time where they are with their brethren. But you know what's a higher price? If you flip over a few pages to James chapter 1, And look there in verse 21 beginning. James says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So I'm not just assembling with the brethren so that I can socialize and, and feel good about what I've done, but, but I'm letting the word of God have an impact on me. In verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
How often do we tell the preacher on the way out, oh, that was a good lesson. And then we go out and never give it another thought. How often do we preach a lesson? And we go out and we never give it another thought. It's a high price to be here. It's a higher price to let what has taken place here affect us and move us and help us in our service to God. Look over in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul here writes to Timothy about men and women in the church and he has a number of things to say. One of them here, 1 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 9, he says, In like manner also the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. You know, it's a high price to pay to dress in a modest way. It's a price that has to be paid just when you're looking at society. We're going to stand out. We're going to be different. And for a lot of people, that's very uncomfortable. But that's a price that we have to pay if we're going to be separate and apart, if we're going to be people of God. It's interesting, he says here, not with costly clothing. Uh, maybe sometimes we don't get the full intent of what Paul is talking about here. It's not just about the how the the, the little amount that some might put on, but there can there can be the other extreme. But all of it has to do with the idea of drawing, attracting attention to ourselves. And so, for those who are willing to do what Paul says here that needs to be done, there's going to be a high price. And going back to that costly clothing, it's interesting that to find clothing that would be modest in all ways, a lot of times it costs more than the stylish, the thing that's in fashion. So there's a price there, but I tell you, there's a higher price. You know, his father's bringing up, I have three girls, and the boys are not exempt, by the way. We teach them modesty as well. There's a price to, to make sure that the clothes that they wear are, are modest. But it takes a higher price to create within those girls a modest heart. In 1 Peter chapter 3, a very similar passage, and I believe this is really the intent also of what Paul's talking about. Peter just... Uh, specifies it maybe a little more clearly here when he says in verse 3, don't let your adornment be merely outward arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. And so, yes, it's a high price to dress modestly. It's a higher price to be modest, to have a modest heart that never is looking for attention, is never seeking to to draw the attention of others to themselves, but is only ever wanting to glorify God and draw people to Him. Sometimes you'll have people who say, "But, but I have that spirit. Well, if you have it, that's good, but it will be shown. Look in verse 5. 
For in this manner in former times the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. And what Peter is showing us there in those following verses is this hidden person of the heart, this gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God it's going to show. People will see it by the way that you dress and by the way that you conduct yourself. But it takes a a high price. But wouldn't we be willing to pay that for our Lord if that's what He has called us to do? There are a lot of ways you could apply this principle of the price of perfection as opposed to just settling for something that's good. You know, a lot of people have given themselves to read the Bible every day. That's good. That's, that's really good. You're, you're better than most if you're doing that. But there's a higher price to pay in order to have that word, as Paul says in Colossians 3.16, dwelling in you richly in all wisdom and actually producing something in your life. And so, again, we can continue on and talk about the different areas where that might be applied. But when you look back here in Ephesians chapter 4, I hope we recognize that while we're talking about striving for perfection, that's not something that's going to be easy. It's going to demand a high price on our part. But it's not something we have to do alone. The, the context, you know, we began reading back in verse 11 all the way down through verse 16. The context here is the church, the body of Christ, working together, every part doing its share. And if any of us are going to come to that knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature and the fullness of Christ, we're going to need help. We're going to need one another to encourage and to hold us up and to hold us accountable so that we all can be working by which every part does its share and causing that growth of the body as we all strive toward that perfect Son of God who gave His life for us on the cross. As we come to a close of the lesson and the week, uh, we want to just draw people's attention to the Word of God. I hope that I've been able to share some things this week that have been helpful. I hope more than that, there's a passage in First Chronicles chapter 4. There's a, a man here, he's kind of obscure. We don't really know him very well. His name was Jabez. In First Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 9, uh, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. And in verse 10, Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. My request would be, that I cause no pain, I cause no harm this week, and hopefully maybe have done some good. 
The Word of God is what I commend to you. As we give ourselves to the study of God's Word, that is the only way that we can truly draw closer to God, to draw closer to that perfect man that we should aspire to be. And so as we we close this morning, we want to offer an invitation uh, to study. God's Word is so beautiful, and a lot of people know a lot of things about the Bible, but they don't know the Bible. And if you don't know the Bible, you don't know the God of the Bible, and you can't know Jesus Christ. And so we offer to study. We offer to help to see who God is and what His will is for you. If you're here this morning and you know what that is, but you haven't rendered obedience to it, or you've set it aside, or you've settled for something less, then make the needed changes that you need to make right now. And if that change is putting that old man of sin to death and being raised to walk in newness of life through the waters of baptism, then we invite you to come this morning and make your request known, whatever it may be, as we stand and sing the song of invitation.